Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, a podcast where powerful women share their journey to inspire and empower others. This week, my guest is none other than Tracy Moore, the award-nominated host of CityLine, the largest running lifestyle program for women in Canada. Whether you watch TV or not, if you live in Canada or the US, chances are you've come across Tracy's beautiful face before. CityLine is indeed broadcast in 70 million American homes daily in addition to all of Canada. Tracy started her career as a reporter and news anchor in the early 2000s, working in various Canadian TV networks and making her way up the ladder. She's garnered several awards over the years, among them Canadian Screen Award, Best Host Nominee, Gemini Best Host Nominee, and the BBPA Media Award. Tracy is also a mom of two. Listen to our interview and hear about the obstacles she's faced while on her way to breaking multiple glass ceilings in Canadian TV and learn about her impressive journey to unlocking her own potential. Here is my conversation with Tracy, which we recorded at home, H-O-A-M-E, Toronto's favorite meditation space. My name is Tracy Moore and I am a television host, host of CityLine. Tracy, it's such a pleasure to have you on The Brand is Female. Thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Thanks for inviting me. This is nice and cozy. It's lovely. And, and we are sitting on the pink velvet couch at home, <laughs> H-O-A-M-E, in Toronto, a meditation space, um, which f- feels really good on a Friday afternoon because I, I need the meditation time right now. <laughs> as soon as we pulled up outside of my cab, I thought meditation, that would be a nice way to end today. It's actually how I start every day. Um, at home on my couch, which is not pink, uh, but it's lovely to be here with you, Eva. Thanks. Thank you. So before we talk about recent projects and everything that you're up to, and I feel like I'm seeing you everywhere these days and I love it and I love your presence on social media. Um, I want to go back to the beginning, young Tracy, and it's funny, we were just chatting before the interview and realizing that um, it's going to be 20 years from the year 2000 soon, and that's around the time that you started your career in TV. But I want to talk about even earlier. So young Tracy growing up, what were you dreaming of doing with your life? Young Tracy growing up was a big nerd, also very social. So always striving in school, always you know, nailing those straight A's, always way more worried about my studies than my parents were. I didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do, but what I realized by about grade seven was that I liked to talk in front of people. Mm. And I had incredible teachers in grade seven, eight, and then very much in nine and 10 that really encouraged that. Love it. So I had an English teacher in high school named Miss Holding. I'm still in touch with her now because she's been so influential in my life. But we would do these independent study units in high school and we would have to do the presentation to the class and she knew I loved presenting so much that she would invite other classrooms to come in and listen. Oh wow. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And so at the time I didn't really know what you could do when you like to write and you like to read. And so she had suggested to me, well maybe political science, maybe journalism, maybe law. Why don't you go and do a general arts degree? at a good university and see where it takes you. Mm. And that's what I did and I followed her advice. But in terms of what I was going to be when I grew up, it was everything from a solid gold dancer to a, because <laughs> I was just in love with Darcy with that long hair, whipping yep. it around on solid gold, to a doctor, uh, not with my math marks, <laughs> um, to a presenter. And so that's the, that's the direction I ended up going in. And how, how did that click? And did you know at that time that a career in TV or in entertainment was possible? 
It was really supposed to be radio. Okay. And the reason why it all came together is I went off and I followed Miss Holding's advice. I did a political science degree at McGill University my very first year. I wanted to get more involved in the student body, so I started volunteering at the campus radio station. Okay. Yeah. And I worked on a political show about the black diaspora called Soul Perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I was just reading the announcements with one of my friends who was also in her first year. And we really liked it, and they saw how committed we were, so they offered us a morning show slot. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we did this morning show. It was atrocious. <laughs> like, I hope no one has a copy of any of those episodes. Do you have a copy somewhere? I do not. <laughs> Probably burn them all, but it would be funny to go back and, and, and listen to them now. They were badly edited, and we were basically just reading articles on mm -hmm. air. But it gave me the bug for broadcast. Mm. And so I spent the rest of my university career um, volunteering at the campus radio station. Okay. And by the end of it, I thought, I'm going to go do a journalism degree. Mm -hmm. And that's when I had decided it's going to be journalism, it's going to be broadcast, mm -hmm. so either television, radio, but definitely a leaning towards radio. And I applied to Western University for my master's, and that's where the ball start, started rolling as a journalist. Okay. Tell me about maybe that first, like applying for that first real job as a journalist. What was it and what was it like? I had to go through a very interesting lesson in how to come out of my shell and how to get out of my own way mm -hmm. when I first became an intern. So I graduated with my master's. I was set up at CTV and there were many of us. There were about maybe three or four of us from my program. I graduated top of my program, but as soon as I walked into that newsroom, I felt mediocre. Hmm. I felt like the stupidest person in the room. I felt overwhelmed. It was daunting. And I just made myself very small. Mm -hmm. And so here I am in this newsroom, and I'm not introducing myself to anyone. I'm wasting time is essentially what I'm doing. Because as an intern, you better meet everybody, and right. you better make every opportunity count. I was doing none of that. Mm -hmm. I had asked one day, I just I got the energy and the guts to go up to a reporter in the newsroom and I had asked her if I could shadow her for mm -hmm. a couple of days and she really didn't want me to, so she was trying to sort of brush me off and mm -hmm. so she said, go talk to the news director, it's up to him. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to him and he said, oh sure. <laughs> so I went out and I, I shadowed her that day and she was a black reporter, very big deal in my family, because mm -hmm. as a black family in this country, you're always looking for visibility. Right. You're looking for people who look like you on TV. Of course, yeah. And, uh, and I told my parents, I'm gonna go shadow X, Y, Z, and they were so proud, and I went to shadow her, and it was disastrous, because I was oh, no. quiet, and I was awkward, mm -hmm. and you know she had a vibe going on with her camera guy, and I felt like I was sort of in the way, mm -hmm. and at the end of that, Shadowing opportunity, she said to me, I said, well, where do I meet you tomorrow? And she said, we're not doing this hmm. again. Like, hmm. this is done. And I went home with my tail between my legs, too embarrassed to tell my parents. The next day, I didn't want to go. I, I had nowhere to go. So right. I went to my best friend's house. And she sat me down that afternoon and she said, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Why aren't you being yourself? Right. Why are you being so quiet. Mm. And I said, I'm being quiet because I don't know anything. I don't mm. know where anything is. I don't know how to fix the photocopier. I don't know how to write a story. I don't know how to read the wires. Right. And she said, why aren't you asking? Yeah. yeah. And I said, because I don't want people to know that I don't know. Mm. And she said, well, that's stupid because yeah. you don't know. Yeah. You're yeah. an intern. You're the intern, exactly. You're literally there knowing nothing and, and you're there to, to learn. learn. Yeah. 
And I had to get over my own insecurity with having people know how little I know. Mm. And that was the beginning of me really being noticed in that newsroom. And that's what led to my first real job. I started talking people's faces off. Right. So I thought, even if I'm annoying them, they're going to have to know who I am. Like her pep talk, Sandy, my girlfriend, still my girlfriend now, went a very long way. Yeah. And, um... I ended up meeting a production manager in the CFTO newsroom who had a friend who had a friend who had a friend, which mm-hmm. is always the way it is, mm-hmm. who was leaving the CBC. And okay. she said, she said, bring me your resume tomorrow. And I brought her my resume, and, um, and that led to my first real job in journalism in the CBC newsroom. And uh, that led, I was assigning the camera crews, I was terrible at it, Mm. but that led to an editorial (laughs) assistant job in the newsroom, then I was researching for the reporters, and then I was chase producing, Mm -hmm. I was begging them to put me on camera, they were saying absolutely not, and then I begged them to put me in a camera course, eventually they did, I learned how to shoot the camera, they ignored me again for several months, Mm. and then 9-11 came. Hmm. And that was my first night on air. Oh, my God. Every single reporter had to file a story. They ran out of reporters. It was a huge, huge story. And they said, we need someone to go to that U.S. consulate. And I said, I will do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they said, give her the keys. Because I was that annoying editorial assistant that just would not leave them alone. Right, who had been pushing for every opportunity. Yes, give her the keys to the van, (laughs) let her cover it. And that was my first day on air, and it just continued. Oh, my God, wow. And that's how it all started. Wow. But I basically had to beg, borrow, or steal every single opportunity that came my way. I was going to say, you literally made it happen by being persistent and knowing what you were going after. Yes. And I say to the interns all the time that come into City Line, like, you got to push. Yeah. No one will give you anything in this industry. You have to push it. Mm. You have to mark your opportunities and jump in there. Mm. It's the only way. Is it harder if you're a woman or is that the same for both men and women reporters? It was, it's harder if you're a woman because I felt that we had to work a little bit harder to get respect. Mm -hmm. And I felt we also had to dodge the men. Right. There was a very strange culture in the newsroom. I'm happy to say that I don't see it anymore. Good. But the culture was very much about older men, mm-hmm. um, you know, hiring all these 20-something mm-hmm. women. And, you know, you looked around. The, the editorial assistants are all these, you know, very attractive yeah. 20-somethings. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I did I did not want to play with any of that with my career because I right. feel like that is playing with fire. Um, the opportunity was there, but I felt like I had to play that game very carefully mm-hmm. and have boundaries up. Right. And so you're sort of navigating that situation and you're dodging those things, but then you're also trying to be very bold in other ways mm-hmm. because you really want these opportunities. So that's what made it a little bit tougher. Mm, I see. Were there any women who inspired you? You mentioned a reporter you actually shadowed for a day. Uh, women maybe in the, inter- in the entertainment or journalism sector that you looked up to who inspired you in your path? I was pretty sure I was going to be Diane Sawyer. Okay. So <laughs> that was just the plan. Well, I mean, you're a version of Diane Sawyer. Today. Yes. Yeah. I mean, some people would say, well, you're kind of more Oprah. And it was interesting because yes. I was very... I was very focused on the news. Mm. I did series on Toronto's poor. Um, I did a series on gun violence. I was very much about helping my community. This Mm. is why I'm going into journalism. I want to make a difference. I want to have a legacy where I've, I've helped. 
And I didn't think you could satisfy those goals in lifestyle television. Okay. I didn't mm-hmm. see it. I wasn't a fan. Right. Um, I did not watch the show that I ended up working on now before I got the first audition. Okay. Okay. And so I was very much on that path to hard news. If mm. anything, I was going to be a foreign correspondent right. like Christiane Amanpour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I, w- I did not think I would be in any way in talk television. Mm. That wasn't the plan. I always thought I'm going to have my own vehicle, but mm-hmm. it's going to be very serious. Okay, I see. I see. <laughs> now, I spent the day like laughing with Lady Antebellum today right. on the show. Like, <laughs> it's not very serious, but I found that it's a platform that has actually been um, maybe even possibly more effective than anything I did Mm. as a news reporter right? because we are in people's living rooms. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about moms with breast cancer and there, I have people that will connect me months and months and months and years after certain topics Mm. that we've done because Mm -hmm. it's touched them in a certain way. Right. So we are a vehicle of change Mm -hmm. and we are able to touch people in certain ways, but it was not my direction at all. Mm -hmm. I had to be willing to go that way and actually try it. So tell me about that time when you got an audition for the show on on City Line. Um, And and clearly that wasn't the intent. So what made you change your mind and want to take the job? I had been in uh, interviews in New York with ABC News and NBC, and even CNN was interested. Mm -hmm. So this was before kids. This was before marriage. I was dating my husband at the Mm -hmm. time. He's super ambitious and ambitious on behalf of me, and so am I. And so he was saying, you need this agent. You need to get an agent in the States. He's like, we're still young. We can make this move. You're fantastic. He's been telling me to, like, ask for a million dollars since I just graduated. Like, and he's I a love, lovely man. I love your husband, and I love how he pays tribute to you for anybody who follows him on, on yes. social. It's, it's, it's wonderful watching the two of you because he seems Thank to be your number you. one fan and your biggest supporter. Number one fan. He just, he, like, I feel like his love is completely blind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do you understand that I can't ask for that kind of money? He's like, no, you can. You can. So, um... Uh, so it was happening. Mm-hmm. These agents were getting me these interviews. And as a matter of fact, ABC, was fly- they were flying me into New York every other weekend. And mm-hmm. every time I went, it was another level of executives I ha- had been meeting. And it was all to be a news correspondent. Lo and behold, probably six months into our going back and forth, I got a job offer. Okay. And it was as an ABC news correspondent in London. Wow. England. Yes. That's an amazing gig. We were so excited. Yeah. My husband was a journalist at the time, mm-hmm. He or my boyfriend. He was working at Reuters. Mm-hmm. He was like, listen, I'm willing to quit. We're going to move. He was researching tax laws. Mm-hmm. I had the paperwork. I'd signed a contract with like housing adjustment and all that money. And... That my agent called me one day with devastating news, and he just said, it's not happening. Oh, no. And we said, why? And he said, ABC News is now in the middle of a lawsuit in the London Bureau. Oh, my God. They sent a reporter to go to Afghanistan, and he said no. And they fired him, and he's suing them. And they are just stopping all foreign hires. Oh, Um, my God. All of those processes are being stopped. And like, for how long? And he said... My agent was like, indefinitely. He's mm-hmm. like, but don't worry about it. We'll get back in it again. We were devastated. Well, I and can so imagine. We were devastated. I think exactly, my parents knew. It's right? what you had been dreaming of. This was the plan. Yeah. yeah. And 
my, uh, you know, we, we talked about it and talked about it ad nauseum and, and we said, listen, um, at this point I was at breakfast television as a live reporter. Mm-hmm. I said, let's settle down here. Let's get married. Uh, let's continue to do this thing maybe with a different agent because I was very angry with him now that mm. this even it's not wasn't his fault but he I didn't really right. handle handled it that well <laughs> so we got married um, I'm still a live reporter on the morning show mm. got pregnant with my first child yes. and I'm about eight months pregnant and you know trying to hit my noon deadline and my news director calls me into her office and she says. So we are going to be losing the host of City Line. And I said, I know. Like, everyone was talking right. about it. The yeah. station had been sold. Yeah. All the assets were being divided. Mm-hmm. Some going to CTV, some going to Rogers slash City TV. Mm-hmm. But we were losing Marilyn Dennis. Right. Okay? So she's going to go with her radio show. Her show is open. Right. And I said, I know. And she said, we're going to be doing auditions. We're bringing women in from across Canada. And we mm-hmm. want a bunch of people to audition. And I said, I know. <laughs> and I'm waiting for her to wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Why I have you a story <laughs> that I got to finish. Yeah. And she said, I think you should audition. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, didn't even occur to me. Right. You know, I'd seen Marilyn in the hallways. Mm-hmm. We said hi to each other. Did not even occur to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, why is she asking me to audition for this show? Mm-hmm. Um... But I was smart enough to say yes, and I took that home um, to my momager, my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, I said, you know, Tina asked me to audition for City Line, mm-hmm. and he was like, "That's the lifestyle show." And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "This could be great." He goes, "Think about it." He's like, "You're a new mom. We're we. It's our first house. We've got to cook on a budget." Like, and he's coming up with all these ideas. I he's love like, how he's visualizing. Oh, he's visualizing how it all. Yeah. He's like, yeah. think about this transition. He's like, you would be out of the box of news. Mm-hmm. You would be able to do endorsements. You would be able to have your name on things. You would be able to be an ambassador. Like, he was looking like, you know, so far ahead. And, and he was getting me excited. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, you're right. I never thought of it. So I sat down and I watched all the reruns of City mm-hmm. Line. I watched all the shows. Mm-hmm. And I had suffered with postpartum depression with my first baby and was just coming out of it when he was about six weeks old. Mm -hmm. And my first audition was was when he was about three months. Oh, wow. And I remember being so excited because my mom came downtown and she watched Sydney for me while I took a luxurious shower and I did my hair and mm-hmm. I got to put on pretty clothes, mm-hmm. no spit up. <laughs> I went to City TV. They did my makeup. I was like, oh, it's so good to be back on television. Yeah. And I wasn't thinking much about the bigness of City Line. I right. was thinking, what a great day out of the house. Right. <laughs> what a fantastic day. I didn't, you know, someone's holding my baby it's amazing <laughs> I got to have my shower to I got myself. to have a yeah. full shower mm-hmm. it felt so luxurious but I think I also knew after that first audition I was like this could be good mm-hmm. and I wasn't good at it I don't think I was good at it mm-hmm. I think that I had a lot to learn about the format okay. I had a lot to learn about the experts on the show right it is its own machine that yeah. has been around for almost 40 years now. Mm-hmm. They have a language that's their language. Right. They have a vibe and a pace that's very much their vibe and pace. Mm. And I had a lot to learn. And so the, the more they kept calling me back for auditions, the more comfortable I was. Mm. And the more my hopes were going up and up and up. Right. And it was the longest audition, like, 
of all time, three months, okay. a three month long audition of all these women. That is long. Yeah, it yeah. was long. Um, I suspect it's because they were they were really worried, hmm. and I think that to go make a transition from a white woman to a woman of color. Right. I feel like it was a very big. Step. Right. It right. was a big step for them. Is that a discussion you were able to have with them? Absolutely not. And this is me. This is just me making stuff up. Yeah. But it's how I feel. Yeah. I don't think, I don't know if we needed three months. Right. You know? Yeah. But I felt that it was a very big deal. I mm-hmm. had a lot of people in my corner and I, you know, I had a lot of my black girlfriends were like, do you think they're really going to do it? Mm. Because it just didn't exist in Canada. No, it was a, a big statement. It's a big statement. Yeah. We don't. We we didn't have a precedent for it in Canada. Yeah. We had no women of color hosting their own vehicle in Canada. Yeah. yeah. So this was a very big bold move mm-hmm. for them to do it, and I certainly felt ready to do it, and right. I felt like I was the candidate to do it. But I was yeah. like, are they gonna let me do it? Right. Yeah. And they did, and it's been hands down the best job I've ever had in my entire life. So that was what year when that you was started? That was 2008. 2008. And then... October 27th. Oh, well, so <laughs> fast forward now, yes. 2019. And 2019, I'm 11 years in. That's amazing. Which is like nuts and still feeling like honeymoon period mm-hmm. because I just find... The show has gone through such an evolution. We're now yeah. syndicated and 80 million viewers in the United States. Right. Um, we have changed the set several times. Mm-hmm. We've found new experts. We've um, cherished our older experts. They're still with us. And it's been, I, I learn more about the game mm-hmm. every day. And I mm-hmm. think most journalists will tell you they're always looking for the next big thing. For me, I just want to master this mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. I just want to be so good at it that. I can do it blindfolded. Right. And so I'm very, very happy. So what was the feedback when you started? You got the show, you're on air, and you mentioned you had a lot of things you wanted to learn about the formula and the the specifics of that show. Yeah. But what was the public's reaction? And, you know, the statement that the network did of assigning a black woman at the helm of the show. From what I saw, the reaction was actually pretty awful. Really? Yeah. Wow. I... I believe that there was a lot of negativity surrounding it. I also insulated myself from a lot of it because Mm. I knew instinctively if I was going to wake up every day and think about all the people that were like, I will never watch again, Mm. it was going to be debilitating. Right. And so I was so excited for the opportunity Mm. that I made a conscious decision to make that excitement outweigh anything the else. negativity yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. I'm here and I also felt that I just needed a chance right and I knew I could win them over right. I always say in an interview I can email you stuff I can talk to you on the phone but you need to meet me mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. need to meet yeah let us meet and and it's gonna work out mm-hmm. I just I knew I just needed time right. so I felt that confidence in myself and you know I, I knew I was a hard worker and mm-hmm. immediately when I started doing the show I started doing something a little bit different for the show, mm-hmm. and I would come out and I would talk to the audience, because they don't know who the hell I am. Right, right. So I'd come out before the show, and I would talk to the audience, and I started taking pictures with the audience. This mm-hmm. is before we even had Instagram. Exactly. I was going to say that was pretty early. Yeah. So a lot of people didn't even have their cameras yeah. with them, but they'd be like, <laughs> the ones who did, yeah. you know, from out of town, they'd be like, oh, okay, thank you. 
And I took some of the more negative viewer mail because, believe it or not, people were, like, writing letters, snail mail. So, mm. you know, there were some nasty letters. Right. And some of them would leave their phone number, and I would call some of them. Good for you. I would call them, and I would say, um, hi, can I please speak to Betty? And they would say, this is Betty. And I'd say, well, it's Tracy Moore, the new host of City Line. Mm. Pause. <laughs> They're like, are you key? Is it really? Hello, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Listen, I know you're watching the show, and I know that, you know, I'm a work in progress. I'm new. I'm learning. And uh, we're going to grow and evolve together. But I want to tell you that I'm working hard to learn, and I would love for you to come down and see the show. Mm-hmm. And they would say, okay, I'd love to come and see the show. Completely disarming. And wow. I think some of those people are probably some of my biggest fans. Exactly. They You've just won said, them over completely. Yes. Let's yes. just give her a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I knew I just needed a chance. And, and lo and behold, I would say it took me about 18 months to actually understand the format, mm. understand the experts, understand the days of the week being themed different ways, right. understand the nuances and the language and the lexicon, mm. and, and really start to sort of feel comfortable in that space. Right. Because as a news reporter, no one cares about your life. Mm. And as a lifestyle host, that's all they care about. Exactly. They want exactly. to know how we're raising our kids. Yes. What are you giving him for lunch? Yes. What do you what's your husband do? Yeah. yeah. Where'd that shirt come from? Exactly. What lip color is that? Yeah. It was yeah. like, whoa. It's <laughs> a lot to get used to. And how do you manage that? And that was gonna be one of my questions and I wanna touch on what you just brought up with the woman you call and, and people writing snail mail. Today it's completely different because everything happens online. Yes. And as the host of a, you know, super popular TV show, you are a personality that is watched, followed. People want to know about your life. They pay attention to every little detail. Mm-hmm. They also expect a lot of you. They want you to share on social platforms. They want to be able to get that glimpse into your life. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? I think social media has made it easier, but it's also made it more difficult. So what's kind of cool is that people will come up to me now and they're up to date on my life. Right, yes. (laughs) (laughs) They know there was a hockey tournament last weekend. They know it was with my daughter. They know that we went and got a Christmas tree. Like They're sort of up to date. Yeah. And so what's interesting about that is that it gives people a certain familiarity, which I find is sometimes abused, Mm -hmm. Um, but it also gives them a closeness that I wouldn't necessarily have with strangers. Mm-hmm. And so what I find is sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be waiting in line at the grocery store and I'll feel somebody do this. Mm. And they're taking lint off my coat. Like, we're friends. Right. And right. it's sort of, oh, thank you. So and we've already broke through all of the minutiae because right. they know my life already. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah. comfortable. Yeah. And then other people will, you know, want to take pictures with my kids. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, that's overstepping. And yeah. so I'm very big on boundaries. Right. And when I'm out in public, I, I, I feel that I, I want to be very polite because they're the only reason I'm on air. Right. Yes. They're watching. That's why they know me. Mm-hmm. So I want to be very polite and I want to give them a little bit of what they need without giving too much of what I need to keep right. to myself. Yeah. And so I feel like I've kind of perfected the very polite, oh my gosh, thank you so much for watching. What's your favorite day? Mm-hmm. And oh, you have a good day. And I cut it off and we, we keep it moving. Right, right. So I try and give whenever I can. And I understand that I'm paid when I'm paid because I'm always on duty. Mm-hmm. 
you know, even on vacation now, because yeah. Canadians, we travel yes. a lot, <laughs> even to Italy and Spain, right. everywhere. We're, I'll, I'll be you running down. around the planet. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I understand, and I'm, I, it's excitement. They're excited. Mm. And in the beginning, it totally freaked me out, and I didn't know how to act. I didn't, you feel like someone's looking at you, and you don't know how to even hold your arms yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. ooh, I have to be very polite if yes. I was going to steal your parking spot at it, the mall. Yes, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know who I am. <laughs> and I feel like that burden, my kids carry a bit of that burden as well because, mm. you know, number one, they're black children. Number two, they're the black children of a TV person. Right. Like, yeah. they have to always be behaved. Right. Oh, my God. Yes, the pressure that must Always come have to be behaved. And it's good that they're good kids. Yeah. But I think Leo and I have really driven home. Like, yeah. you're, now a, you're now a representative of Mummy. Right. And she's a representative of City TV. Right. So, stop picking your nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the worst thing they do, right. you're safe. <laughs> right. So, I try and, yeah, I try and navigate it. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that I've got it all figured out, mm-hmm. but I feel that I've gotten to a good place where mm-hmm. I know how to set a boundary if I need to set a boundary. Yeah. Um, and I know how to be giving in a way that doesn't deplete me. Right. I've also seen you um, address certain negative comments on social media heads on. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a lot of that. Anybody who's a personality in entertainment and media, um, there's a lot of you know people who like to demean and criticize and yeah. under the cover of social media are not afraid of being very negative about somebody's personal appearance or attitude or personality. Um, But you've always addressed, and I remember comments about, you know, personal appearance, and I think, you know, they were saying, you've gained weight. And you went hands-on, heads-on, addressed it, you know, posted about it, and it allowed everybody to have a conversation about it. And not just kind of bully the bullies, but really turn it into productive conversations that we should have in society. I'm glad, I'm glad you read it that way because that's exactly the point. Mm-hmm. There's only t- two reasons why I will do sort of a strategic clapback. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is when I want to, uh, number one, make it very clear we don't do this here on my page. Right. You shouldn't do it anywhere. Yeah. But definitely not my page. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't deal with that. Yeah. You and set the rules. I'm, I'm setting the rules and this is once again a boundary. Yeah. So I actually don't talk to people like that on their pages and I expect the same respect Mm -hmm. and the second reason why is to remind people that this is happening in the world so people are being silly don't be one of those people yes so it's a two-pronged thing and Mm -hmm. you know I try not to do it often because it can get a little bit you know Tracy you have a good life like be quiet yeah you know and I don't that's not the point the point is not what was me the point is Um, I am a big believer in reciprocity. Mm. And so, and I also have actually a lot of respect for my followers. They have managed to keep my page so elevated. Mm. And considering the amount of followers I have, I'm shocked that it's so positive. Yeah, right. But I think it's also because that's what I'm putting out. Yes. So those random, weird, negative, you know, vitriol-laced comments. They don't have a space. They don't really have a space. Mm. And and so I just want to make it clear that that's not going to happen here. And also there's certain topics that that are triggers for me. Body shaming, Mm -hmm. racism, misogyny. Any of that stuff is not going to get any play Mm -hmm. on my page. 
Um, you'll either get a block or you'll get a nice public response. Mm-hmm. And um, but I try and use it more strategically, mm-hmm. and just just to remind people once again, these are the boundaries, and please elevate the conversation on social media. We don't need to go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it is impactful. Um, you're raising two children. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your advice for kids in general, but women especially? on navigating that fine line because you have experience you've been doing this for a while you've been in a spotlight for you know two decades now mm-hmm. um you you know how to deal with it but somebody who's you know still a teenager a young woman it can be very difficult it comes with a lot of pressure mm-hmm. just being able to exist on social media like i always say i'm so glad facebook wasn't around when i was in Me high school too. uh but different reality today so what what's your advice for young women to navigate all of this I'll be totally honest. I'm scared. I'm really scared. My kids are 11 and 9, mm-hmm. and I see as a 44-year-old woman the influence social media can have on me. Sometimes I can't disconnect. Right. And sometimes I find it actually brings me down because it's a lot of negativity, particularly Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. and I'll just keep reading it and reading it and reading it, and I don't know why I keep consuming it when I can feel it's not making me mm-hmm. feel good. Yeah. So we, Leo and I, and we don't know if this is right. Listen, parenting is a crapshoot. Right. <laughs> we are keeping them as tech-free for as long as we can. Okay. okay. So Monday to Friday in my house, there actually is no screen time. Wow. Yeah, I know a lot of parents are say to me they don't understand how. But mm. if your Good kids you. get into the habit of not even having TV or a phone or a tablet as an option. Yeah. They don't even ask. They don't even ask. Now, mind you, they're probably following me around the house more Mm. because, (laughs) hey, I'm the entertainment now. So there's some days we're like, oh, my gosh, just turn on the TV. Um, But they they have to do their homework. They can walk the dog. Mm -hmm. They can clean up the yards. They can clean up the dog poo, the Mm -hmm. leaves. They can ring the doorbells of the kids like how I grew up. Right. Um, and they can read and they can play Lego or they mm. play hockey in the basement. Right. Weekends, they're allowed to do, they're allowed to have their screen time, mm-hmm. um, you know, around their hockey games. And I don't, I try and, and teach them literacy, media literacy, mm-hmm. and I show them some of the content, um, on social media that I find questionable Good and you. they will talk to me about TikTok and sometimes, you know, there's, there's bad language in the songs mm-hmm. and I'll say... You know, I, that's a funny skit, but what's that person going to do if that's on their page yeah. and they're applying for a job? Yes. That's now their resume. Yeah. You know, and I don't put anything on my page that embarrasses my kids. Mm. I don't put anything on my page that embarrasses me. Mm. And I try and make a point of showing them, like, ooh, I don't think I'm going to put that picture up, guys, because, you know, maybe mommy mm. needs to be wearing more clothes. I don't know. Yeah. Just my brand. And, like, mm. listen, you can go naked if you want, but my brand is not so naked. Yeah. Um, the girl I'm going to, we've already had talks about, you know, mean girls at school Mm -hmm. and, you know, her body, she's, she's caught me on the scale before and asked me what I was doing Mm. and I'm naked all the time around my kids. I want them to know what a real body looks like. So it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Mm. And right now, I know they definitely tell me things. There is no way I would have told my parents right. at their age. Yeah. So definitely the lines of communication are way more open than they were when I was growing That's up. That's amazing. Yeah. The things they ask me about. I mm. mean, we were at the, ta- uh, the, the island and I'm washing the dishes and they're both sitting there looking at me. 
you know, joking around with each other. And uh, and Sydney, my son, goes to me, oh, mommy, what's um, what's uh, Eva? What's the word again? My daughter's Eva as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. And she goes, master. And Sydney goes, masturbation. <laughs> like oh here we go (laughs) and I laughed and they're like why are you laughing and I'm like oh and I told them I explained Mm -hmm. to them what it was so it's like and I and I didn't do with any shame that's it you're taking any awkwardness away from it no it's just Mm -hmm. do it in your room yeah you know yeah you you just put them on your by yourself yeah and um and so I hope the lines of communication will Mm -hmm. stay open yes and I hope she'll talk to me when she feels if she feels weird about her body, they know about my period. Right. They know what happens. I make sure my son knows about that. But exactly, that's so important. Yeah, just know. Yeah. Know what it is to be a woman and walk through this world. Yeah. Know that we don't necessarily feel as safe in this world. Yes. Know that we can get whatever we want in this world, but there's a patriarchy. Yes. You know, know what toxic masculinity is. Mm. We talk about all that stuff. Okay, I want to live in your house and like have those conversations <laughs> with your kids because that's amazing. We talk about consent. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, if Eva says she doesn't feel like being tickled right now, like, don't tickle her. There you go. She has yeah. to tell you that yeah. it's okay. And, you know, even if she's your sister, mm-hmm. like, you've got to have a conversation about touching people. It's I just the way it is. I love that you're doing it that way. Yeah, yeah. so we talk about it all. Mm. What's the biggest mistake you think you've made? Oh, gosh, I've made a lot. <laughs> you mean in parenting and life and everything? Could be anything. Career, life, career. parenting. I was asking um, more about career, but if something else comes to mind, it can be that. I think my biggest, like, I would say my biggest, uh, like, let's call it a character flaw or the thing I'm working on mm-hmm. is being able to express exactly how I feel. Okay. So I feel like that has, I've seen time and time again how when I express what I feel, how things um, go better. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also seen how things can go worse and how it can be more challenging, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I think what I need to do is continue to practice to say, of saying exactly how I feel if somebody makes a you know a backhanded comment or there's a microaggression in the workplace Mm -hmm. I have to be okay with saying what did you mean by that because it doesn't feel good what you just said right uh, I have to be okay about having the fights that I want to fight in the workplace, which is about having more diversity on mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And I sound like a broken record. Mm. And I have to not care about that because yeah. that's why I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I need to be more comfortable with saying exactly mm. what's on my mind. And I believe that it gets better every year. Mm. That's why I like aging. So how do you try, what What are your tips for achieving that? Is there something, that, is there a goal that you set for yourself? Is there, you know... I do a lot of introspection and I do mm. a lot of checking myself at the end of the day. Okay. And seeing how, like, what went wrong. Mm. So what could I have done better? Mm-hmm. Is there a way I could salvage this? Right. Can I can I hit that topic tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a strategic time in the future when I can say it? Remember how you feel in this moment, and yeah. it's because you didn't say exactly what you felt. Yes. So don't do this again. <laughs> so there's a lot of just me checking myself. Okay. 
And is that something you do through journaling or it's just kind of a, uh, a mental process that you go through? I do have like a subconscious little thing in my notes section in my phone, which yeah. is also sort <laughs> of like um, self-awareness. Yeah, okay. But a lot of it is is in here. It's processing. Yeah. You've mentioned uh, meditation as yes. something that you like to do. What are some of the other things that you know you need to stay grounded amidst the craziness of life and the busyness of career being a mom, etc.? I must get my workout in. Okay. It doesn't have to be every day. Yeah. Uh, but I need to move. Mm-hmm. And that has been the biggest drug, the biggest uh, mental health stabilizer for yeah. me has been being fit and feeling strong. Mm. And I also feel that it's, it's, it's a good remedy for me to have a good, um, I feel good about my body. And so I feel good about my body. I've been everything from a size four to a 14. Mm-hmm. But I feel very good about my body. I don't really beat myself up over, you know, eating... Or five pounds here and there. Five pounds here and there. Mm -hmm. 20 pounds here and there. I'm all like, it's okay. I feel like it's life. Mm -hmm. And I'm busy. I'm doing a lot of stuff. So... Sometimes I eat too much and I drink too much wine. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy, you know. So I feel like I'm pretty good in, in that respect. I need to sweat. I need to meditate. Yeah. I go to bed so early. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I'm a right? huge fan of going to bed early. Huge yeah. fan. It makes and such a big difference. I feel like it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I like to get eight hours of sleep a night. Me too. I like to wake up early. I like yeah. to go to bed early. Yeah. I know I'm missing out on all the cool shows. Yeah. I'll catch them later. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really need is I need quiet time. Mm-hmm. And I need to be able to be in my bubble sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because... My job is, in its essence, a social job, and it's yes. public-facing. Of course. And so for me to be able to continue to be good at, at being a public-facing person, mm-hmm. I sometimes have to be very private mm. when I get home. Right. And I don't want, you know, my kids to be growing up with a mute mom, so whatever <laughs> I have left is usually in their direction, and then right. my poor husband. Right. <laughs> and he was like, he's, he's very understanding. Mm. Um, and he'll just be like, how was your day? Because I'll just be very quiet. Mm. And I'll be like, it was a day. He's like, mm. he'll be like, why don't you go to the living room? Like, read your book. Yeah. Like, do what you need to do. I need that quiet time. I need that quiet bubble. Mm-hmm. And then well, I can be like super social. Right. And it's great that he gives you that space and yes. understands that it's what you need. Yes. That is what you need. He'll start by talking my face off. Mm. And then I'll be like... I can't. And he'll be like, okay, bye. <laughs> then he gets it. He gets it. He gets it. Um, I want to ask you about your definition of success. Mm. And if I had asked you 10 years ago, would the answer have been different? Oh, that's good. 10 years ago, the answer would have been different. I feel that success 10 years ago was about me hitting certain very public markers. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to get an honors degree in political science. I'm going to get a master's and, and I'm going to graduate at the top of my class. And I'm, and I'm going to go to an Ivy League school. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go to the best broadcaster in the country. And mm-hmm. so everything would be sort of these superficial, you know, medals of honor mm-hmm. that I thought were very important. Now, success is how many happy moments I can string together. I like that. So how yeah. do I, how do I keep the joy quotient up? And it's mm. got to be genuine joy. It's mm. not just like made up. We went on seventeen vacations this year. Mm. It's in the little moments. It's, yes. It's it's in the waking up and and knowing I actually I feel good about my life. Mm. That's a that's a moment of joy. Yeah. 
it's about sitting at the table and us all being quiet and me just looking around feeling uh, gratitude for this. Mm. That's a moment of joy. Yes. You know, should driving into my parents' driveway and knowing how the house is going to smell when I walk through the door, mm. a moment of joy. Mm. So how many of those can I stack up? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, is, that is success to me. Mm. And I feel like I'm stacking up a lot. It's a great definition. I like it. Thank you. Is there a book you read at one point a long time ago or recently um, that's kind of really marked you, maybe something you find yourself going back to once in a while and rereading? I read a lot of books, so it's difficult to... uh... There's two books I read recently. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not great on going back to books. Mm -hmm. I read them once and then that's it. Yeah. But the two books that I've been, I feel like I've been quoting a lot lately are Shonda Rhimes' The Year of Yes mm-hmm. and Michelle Obama's uh, Becoming. Becoming. Yeah. I saw a lot of similarities in our life, mm-hmm. like just being the, um, having to be in these different worlds as a black woman, but then also, you know, being in a position of privilege mm-hmm. and um, having people think think of you something that isn't necessarily real and also having this whole side of being um you know a mom and how your your life is affected by that so for michelle obama is more about the similarities for shonda rhimes it was about um it was about embracing the imperfections of life Mm. like i found out a lot about her in that book she's slaying television i mean scandal Mm. how to get away with murder gray's anatomy private practice she you know she 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 owns the she owns thursday exactly (laughs) and so to see that she's definitely afraid of public speaking and had to lean into that Mm. and she can be actually like really curt and mean when she gets scared. Like mm. these revelations, I, I like to hear them because it shows that you're human. Exactly. And I'd exactly. like to know that you could be, you know, slaying life mm. and still have these ver- these these flaws exactly. that you're working through. Yeah, yeah. And so I do like I I, I I've come back to that book a few times, um, just to see how she managed how she's managing mm. her journey. I want to read that one. It's, it's a good one. I'm a one. big fan of some of her shows, and yes. it, her life sounds really interesting. So very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's very I'm eager cool. To find out. Hmm. Um, how do you think we can create more space for women's voices today? Because I think there hasn't been enough space. You are someone. You're a woman with a voice, and you use it. You put it to good use. How can we ensure there is more space for other women to speak? We definitely have to get all of the non-women into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because what I'm finding is that we are so smart and we are so organized and we like we're so good, <laughs> but it, but if we don't get the allies on board, mm-hmm. we're we're a little bit stuck. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's. We, we need to get them, we need to get men to understand how to open up space for us. Mm. I feel like we've proven ourselves over and over and over again. Mm. All the people who run City Line are women, and we're smart. Right. You know, like, from the floor director to the supervising producer to mm-hmm. the director in the chair, yeah. we're all women. 
So, yeah, we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a matter of how do we get the people that are in the positions that we need to be occupying still to yeah. make space for us. Right. So get them in on the conversation, and okay. hopefully there will be even more of us. So it's more about a collaboration rather than confrontation to go and grab that space. I think so. Mm-hmm. But that's that's been my... Um, that has been my strategy as right. a woman of color. Mm. It's been about collaboration. Right. And it's been about me respecting you so that you can respect me. Mm-hmm. And it's been about me convincing you that, you know, l- look at how well I'm doing in my space. Don't mm. you want a piece of this? Right. Like, don't you want to be able to sponsor up and mm. and make the room so that we can all sit at the table mm-hmm. so and I'm you know a daughter of immigrants and so mm. we're constantly striving and trying to prove that we belong mm. you know so all of that weighs into it where did your parents come from Jamaica and they must be really proud of you today so proud <laughs> I mean my mother is like mortifying like I, I can't have her in public don't you know my daughter she hosts city line that's crazy and so whenever guests are on the show and they'll bring you know like cute little personalized like kleenex boxes with a picture of my family on it right the floor director will always say you're gonna give that to marjorie right that's my mom my mom will like the kleenex box with like the with whole the family with the picture it. she wants the cushions with the picture of me and my face she'll take it all yeah, they're very proud. Hmm. And you have an amazing support network, basically, from your husband to your parents and your kids. And that must be a, a big help, too. Super supportive. And there's no way I would I, could, I can't do it alone. Hmm. You know, my husband understood um, that we were going to be co-parents. Right. Because I don't... Listen, I, don't, I was not in love with the baby phase. It's hmm. not... It's, I like that they can talk now and communicate. Okay, yeah. I never 100% understood what all the cries meant. Mm. He was better with the babies. He just was. I like that. That's interesting. He was just better with the babies. Wow. And he is the cook. Wow. Everybody knows not to look to mommy to cook anything. <laughs> They're like, you know, daddy, what are you making tonight? Can we have chicken? Like, he handles all of that. So we're definitely co-parents. He may or may not label himself a feminist, but he is. Right, yeah. He left his job when we got pregnant with our second child. Mm. Because I said, I've got to go back to work. I have, you know, my boss is asking me if I can be back in four weeks. And he's like, oh, four weeks is a a little short. And so we got it to six weeks, Mm -hmm. but... I said, we're going to have to consider, you know, contracting out. We're going to have to consider a nanny. And he said, I don't know about the nanny thing. And I'm Mm. like, well, I don't know what to tell you because I got to go back to work. And he left his job. Wow. So he said, okay. He goes, I'll stay home with the baby. Mm. And so then it came around to talk about baby number three. And I'm like, are you going to do that again? He's like, no, I don't want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) I go, well, I because it was really hard for him to get back into the workforce. And it's like. It's hard to be a stay-at-home parent. I'm yes. sorry. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Yeah, yeah. Men or women. Men yeah. or women. You could you could be doing it every day yeah. and love it. Like, my yeah. sister's one of those people. Okay. But it's not easy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I was like, well, I got to go back to work. And he was like, okay, I guess we're not having a third baby. But, yeah, he's the support is next level. Hmm. And I love and it. And it should be that, that way. Yeah. It should be that way. Right? And mm. so when he, if he needs to go and take some time and figure out what he wants to do next, I'm going to support him. Right. So right. we try and, you know, just support mm. each other. And we're super honest about everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It mm. helps. Love that. 
What do you wish women would do more of? I wish we would um, do more of the thing I'm working on, which is saying exactly what's on our mind. Yep. I yep. see a lot of women at work being martyrs, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of women at work suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. And the problem can be fixed. Now, the addendum to that is that I also understand what happens when you push. Yeah. I've been in a position at work where I've pushed for um, money and negotiations and made to feel a lot of shame for that. Mm. Hmm. And I've been put in a position where... I was told I was being greedy and this might affect my reputation in the industry. Awful things. Wow. That I don't think they would try on any of the sportscasters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That are yeah, male. Yeah, definitely. And so, and you know, to the and, point where my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. Because you start to internalize, like, yes. maybe I am, like, yes. am I, maybe I, I, I'm not that valuable. Yeah. Maybe they're right. Like, who do I think I am? Yeah. So that's the cost of it. Yeah. And, and anyone who says it's easy to stand your ground, it's not. It's not. It's, it's really not, not easy. Yeah. They, they'll assassinate your character. They'll yeah. make you feel silly. They'll humiliate you. Yeah. You'll feel all of those things, and mm-hmm. you still have to do it. Yes. So for all the people that are, that are working in silence and not wanting the confrontation and being martyrs and working overtime when they really need to be home mm-hmm. or doing something else, getting their nails done, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you got to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, it, I see a lot of men that are good at saying it. Mm-hmm. Seems to be a little easier. Seems to be easier. Yeah. Yeah, they just I, say it. I love watching the dynamics in a, in, a, in a boardroom, in a meeting, for example, with women. And I've been in that position and yeah. constantly being interrupted. But the men, if they try interrupting each other, then it's, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll stop it. They rarely do it. They'll rarely yes. interrupt. A man will rarely interrupt another man. Yes. But a woman, constantly. No problem. That's right. And mm-hmm. what are we, like, what do you, it's a shout, it's a shouting match That's now. it. But that's it. Right? And we've been raised to be polite and yes. to let the other speak. And right. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So speaking up is important. Speaking up is important. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And it's the only, it's the only way. Mm-hmm. What's next for you? Oh, that's a good question. I am, I'm, you know, I'm moving in the direction of philanthropy. Okay. I just, I don't know what form it's going to take. I know what my passion is, Mm -hmm. and I know the reason that I got into the industry was not necessarily, you know, to drive a nice SUV. It was, (laughs) I love my car. It's it's a nice car. It's nice. It's a nice car. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like we're pretty comfortable, but I, I feel like there is a bigger, there's a bigger thing that needs to happen. And I don't know if it's going to be around children. I don't know if it's going to be around women. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's maybe just going to be around girls. I like that. Yeah, those are mm-hmm. my, these are my groups. Um, yeah. And I um, uh, I think it's going to make itself known to me as the, as the years mm. go on. So right. sure, there'll be little things like you know, more speaking engagements and, um, you know, people, a lot of people have approached me about a book. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need more life before I write a book, but maybe a book, those Mm -hmm. sorts of things for sure. But big picture needs to be a big give back. And so how do I do that? How do I inspire the next generation? How do I get, you know, how do I get women and women of color where they need to be? Right. So it's going to be around that. Well, I love all of that. That's a great new direction. Um, Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming to speak to me today. It was really interesting and the best of luck with the next chapter. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Good. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, as always, please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. A five-star rating would be fantastic. It really makes a difference. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.